Before I even introduce the podcast or myself, I have a very important message. No, it's not an ad. It's a plea with any family members or family friends over the age of 40 who have children and are more of an authority or a family figure to me than a friend to please not listen to this episode, especially if you are my parents. Mom and dad love you, couldn't do anything without you, but please turn this all the way off. I respect that y'all want to support my work and be involved with every facet of my life, but I also really respect being able to sit at a dinner table and look each other in the eyes. So may I recommend, or rather insist upon, the escort or sugar baby or porn star confessions episodes instead. Okay, now that that's out of the way, hello, 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 my degenerate angels, and welcome back to Tales of Taboo. With respect to those who have decided to work their way through the season backwards, gotta love a rebel, or who are joining us for the very first time, thanks to the sizzling subject matter, my name is Allie Weiss. I am a native New York performer, writer, and on-air host known for my big eyebrows, big opinions, and self-proclaimed title as the reigning princess of taboo, um, which is thanks to my insatiable love of any and all topics, people, ideas, and experiences that, for whatever reason, are outside the bounds of what is considered socially acceptable. And this podcast is unlike anything else in the space because stories about said taboo experiences are told through anonymous confessions from our listeners around the world who've actually lived through them. And the reason I am desperate to divert family and family friends away from today's episode is because I have also decided, for the sake of context and relating to and engaging my audience, because that's the theta darling, to share some of my own on-the-record confessions as well. And they're good ones, because today's episode is all about you guessed it from the very obvious title, <laughs> Sex Clubs. Um, let me start by clarifying that my support of sex and kink clubs and my fascination with them is not because I have a ton of experience at them. Um, at the time of recording this, I've had less than five and I have not participated every single time. But Those experiences have been poignant and powerful and, most importantly, did not contain any sort of deviant behavior. Like, not that there's anything wrong with deviant behavior. Obviously, I support and encourage so-called deviant behavior. But I think when the average person thinks of a sex club, they imagine like an unhinged, wild, predatory, unsanitary, like, ancient Roman or Greek style orgy where everyone is just wanking off everywhere and throwing their jiggly bits onto everyone and devouring each other like a freaking double cheeseburger. And this dynamic exists, like you'll actually hear about it from some of our anonymous contributors, but it was not what I saw or subjected myself to. 
I touched upon this in last season's bisexuality confessions episode, but I first investigated sex parties while looking for a place to safely explore a burgeoning but like still kind of unclear interest in women. Um, I had found it really difficult to find other femme-presenting, openly bisexual or bi-curious women, and since I had zero experience emotionally or physically at the time, I had no idea about codes of conduct or how to act while in pursuit of a partner. Um, I I felt, rather, both unwelcome and out of place in lesbian bars, And of course, apps were an option, and I did dabble in them for a bit, but I was identified a few times by people who listened to the podcast um, or who followed me on various social media platforms. And I wouldn't normally care about that, but at the time, being completely inexperienced, it it made me self-conscious. And I also felt insecure about asking someone out on a date and setting up any sort of expectation Um, believing that I could very well show up and be like, actually, what am I doing here? Like, this is not what I want. So I had this very real desire, even like a need to explore this burgeoning interest, but I didn't know what to do or where to go. Sex clubs were appealing to me because they're almost like highly participatory, immersive theater. The experience is contained within a limited amount of time, meaning there's a definitive start and end. And because you paid for the experience, although you might have a very real emotional or physical response within it, it's transactional. And with transaction comes a certain barrier that reduces genuine emotional attachment and also consequence. Obviously, I'm a huge proponent of anonymity, too. Um, It's like something I explore very deeply in this show. And in many contexts of sex, you know, it can be embarrassing to ask for what you want from someone that you really care about um, or are trying to impress who you don't want to turn off and whose feelings you don't want to hurt. Um, We're also often like super conscious of our bodies and looking beautiful and not saying the wrong thing or letting the wrong noise slip out um, of whatever hole. And this is intensified when you're looking to have an experience for the very first time. Like even on dating apps, you can match with a rando and potentially sleep with them that same night. But there is still a certain level of courtship that's expected Even if it's just drinking wine on a couch and having casual conversation to pass the time, um, because otherwise, like, it's, it's kind of weird, right? But even in that, there's already the expectation for some sort of emotional intimacy. And as such, like, there's a subsequent potential for consequence and embarrassment or, you know, the pressure to have it carry over past that one time together. Plus, like, that kind of one night stand has actually always made me feel icky. I very, very, very rarely done it. Um, But in the containment of sex clubs, you have the opportunity to reveal as much or as little about yourself as you want to, also like immersive theater. And for that period of time, you can become whoever it is that you want to be or believe yourself to be. So like not in my experience, but in other experiences, for example, if you're somebody who's very dominant in your day-to-day life, but you have submissive tendencies, 
it can be hard for someone who is in love with your personality to facilitate like very separate sexual desires. And sometimes with those kinkier components of sex, you don't want it all the time. Like just every once in a while to satisfy a particular urge or scratch a particular itch. And when you attend a play party, as the people in the scene call them, you have the opportunity to immerse yourself, but then go home and take a shower and get on with your life. Um, So ultimately, I discovered Skirt Club, and in my experiences there, discovered that I do, in fact, have a legitimate sexual interest in women, and I am forever grateful for that. But before Skirt Club, I went to Sanctum, spelled S-N-C-T-M, which some of you might have heard of from its association with Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, I cannot speak to it currently, but back when I went, which was quite a few years ago now, it was very expensive and very exclusive. Um, the ticket price for men, I actually wrote it down, then was $2,000 um, per event, and the lifetime membership cost $75,000. And now, according to the website, if you are a single man, you have to pay a $12,500 membership minimum. There's also a VIP one at $50,000 and a $1 million option that essentially lets you become a founder. Wild, wild, truly wild. Um, It took place inside a luxury hotel in the meatpacking district across multiple rooms on the penthouse floor. And truthfully, I wish I remember more details of my experience there, but I was so nervous because it was the first play party I had been to that I intended to participate in. Um, I had taken half a Klonopin while pre-gaming at my house and then immediately started drinking hard liquor from the bar when we got there. Moronic and also unsafe. Um, I'm mad at myself, but You know, that desire and the courage to participate was largely because I knew it could potentially be a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, I got in because a friend of mine had slept with the former owner and was able to expedite my picture to him for approval, and then we got in for free. So I thought to myself, like, if not now, when? Oh my god, I'm getting nervous. I don't want to reveal too much. Um, I think I have to end it here. I've I've always said I'm going to write a book and put the nitty gritty details into the book. Um, I know that putting a book out into the world is just as revealing as recording a podcast, but I don't know. There's like something about me being able to like hide behind the writing as opposed to directly telling you guys all my dirty laundry. Um, I also just I want more time to provide everyone with way more context about my relationship to my body and my sexuality and my mental health and my journey to self-discovery and stuff. Um, So I know it's going to piss people off, but I'm going to end my intro here. Um, I'll leave you with this tidbit. At Sanctum, I had an experience with an older, very attractive international couple. Okay. Okay. That's it. That's it. Um, If you need any more proof that I'm really just a nice Jewish girl with morals and boundaries, you should know I am red and dying of embarrassment right now. Um, So without further ado, and before I get disowned, this is Tales of Taboo.
I've attended parties in New York City, like Haven, NSFW, Playscape, House of Love, Wonderland, and some other private parties. I've performed at a high-end members-only sex party in the city which I found out about through a sex worker friend who was friends with the party planner. My friend knew that I wanted to get more involved in the, the nightlife scene and knew that I was making content on my own and enjoying that experience and so thought it would be something that would be right up my alley. And she was totally right. I've been a performer since November of 2021. I've been attending parties in New York City since 2016, and my talent tends to be group scenes. The two parties I've performed at have both been group scenes. Um, I was motivated to perform at this party because of the idea of having a very specific experience in a sex-positive and exclusive public space. And I was also motivated by the idea that my performance would be a job because I'm really good at this type of performance and felt I deserved to be compensated for it. It was a party that's in Manhattan at a residence. Dress code seems to be black tie and everybody had at least one female or more hanging on their arm. Guests seemed very upscale. I was super comfortable around the other performers, honestly, because I've performed on stages before. So it felt very similar with the communication, getting dressed and set up of things. I actually saw more performers engaging in sex acts than I saw guests engaging in sex. The performers were all insanely hot, so I was thoroughly enjoying myself. My first party, all the guests actually just watched the performances. And the second party I performed at, guests were encouraged to go to rooms at a different location than where the performances were. So that's why I didn't see any of the guests engaging in any acts. And so the flow of the night tends to go like a normal party where you set up the space and have guests come in and they get drinks or hors d'oeuvres and they socialize. Performers were all just kind of mingling with the guests and having light conversation with them and just kind of creating a vibe, right? Um, performers were all dressed up in very minimal outfits. And then when the first few rounds of performances were supposed to um, start, they were just kind of like little teasers to warm up the crowd, get people excited, get people turned on. After the first few rounds of performances, the scenes began to escalate and become a little bit messier. They got into very erotic or full-blown sex scenes. And so then as the night progressed, as the performances went on, more and more of the crowd was engaged in activities with the people that they were attending the party with. So they were, the performances were doing the job that they were supposed to, essentially. Um, I will say I had a moment that I felt really proud of myself at the first party I performed at. I had a very specific DP experience that I'd never had before, and I got a standing ovation at the end of the scene. I was super nervous going in too because it was my first party and so I just didn't know what was going to happen but I had an idea that like it was probably going to be fun but oh my god getting a standing ovation after all that build up was like the cherry on top it was very empowering and very uh <laughs> gratifying the environment is definitely sexy dark and alluring but it didn't feel like it was catered to a specific gender people were just free to walk around and look at whatever they please Guests and performers were just not allowed to make physical contact. I'm super picky about the types of sex parties and clubs that I'm interested in attending as a queer individual. And as an individual who tends to draw a lot of attention to myself in these environments, just because I'm rather vocal about how good of a time I'm having. Um, in the past, I have been in situations where people at these more public parties have just felt very comfortable making contact with me without my consent, um, which was super not cool. So I'm just super picky about where I feel comfortable attending and the types of public spaces. 
I feel safe expressing this side of myself surrounded by a bunch of people I don't know. Um, it's different when I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that I do know. Obviously, um, I just I felt very secure at this party because there was this boundary between guests and performers. And I had a really good conversation with my scene partners and just felt very safe. The experience is just, it's fun. It's exciting. It's sexy. I get to network with other performers and perform something that I enjoy performing. Like it's just, it's a, it's a lot of things that kind of overlap in multiple ways that just, it, it makes it a completely different experience than when you're just attending at a party for sure. Written submission number two. I have always been super interested in kink and fetishes and had a very active sex life exploring this. When I first moved to London 10 years ago, I went to a couple of events by Torture Garden and really enjoyed them. So when I left my long-term relationship a few years later, I started going regularly and checking out different parties. The idea of anonymity is definitely part of the appeal, but I just found the environment to be so interesting. Most of the parties have been in nightclubs. I've been to one that was in a warehouse unit that looked pretty suspicious when we pulled up in the cab, but actually ended up being an amazing party. And another in what seemed to be an old pub that had been adapted specifically for sex parties. The one in the warehouse unit had quite a lot going on. There was a fashion show, some art on display, hors d'oeuvres, and then a DJ, dance floor, a bed, sofas, and some basic play equipment towards the back of the room, and there was a dress code. The one that felt like it was in an old pub was a lesbian sex party, with no specific dress code and you had to apply. There were dancers at the start, and it all felt a bit awkward for a while. They'd organized icebreakers, which is my literal worst nightmare, with games like spin the bottle, etc., I wasn't actually playing at that one, just accompanying a friend that was nervous, but it was definitely not like the other parties I've been to. The rest have mostly been kink parties, and almost always in clubs with a similar setup. A couple of different dance floors, some themed kink and fetish rooms and spaces with equipment, like medical, for example, and a play room or space. These almost always have a dress code. Common theme with all of them has been, if you can wear it on the street, then you're not getting in. From memory, price-wise, they've always been around £40 for tickets, but some have different pricing for men, women, and couples. I think there's something about that environment, or maybe the people that choose to be in it, that seems to be really open-minded and honest. At most parties I've attended, I've found it so much easier to be approached than in the real world. Consent is so valued in these spaces, and unfortunately that just doesn't seem to be the case in normal clubs. People ask before they touch, and you can just tell them that you're not interested, and that's it. There are usually people floating around, and they're pretty on it when they see someone pestering. I went to one party with someone that I was seeing, and there were hardly any women, which resulted in us being surrounded by men just jerking off and or trying to get involved when we were playing. Big no-no. We left pretty soon after we arrived because it didn't feel safe. When I did go to a couple parties while I was pregnant, I wasn't there to play, just as a night out. An obscene number of guys approached me to tell me that it had always been their fantasy to sleep with a pregnant woman and then invite me to the playroom. That wasn't cool either. But I have to say, this is the only time I've ever felt that way at a sex or kink party. The rest of the time, I felt way safer at parties than at any normal club. I've been in a relationship for the last three years, so haven't attended a party in a while. 
although we recently separated, so perhaps it's time that I explored a little bit more. The first sex club I ever attended was Kit Kat Club in Berlin. And then the next one that I attended was in Sydney, Australia. And it was more of like a swingers club that was like at a house that I'm pretty sure we had to email into and get invited to go because and I'll get into more details in both. So first, like Kit Kat Club, it was definitely like a big warehouse type of place, like a nightclub. Um, and everyone's heard of it. And I think that's how I found out about it. Kit Kat Club was... <laughs> It was an interesting thing. So basically, I remember that you there's like a dress code. Guys can't be like fully clothed. I remember them making my boyfriend take off his shirt when we got there and like had to only be in his pants. And I went like this little like policewoman skirt get up that I had from Halloween and like put a coat over it and like went in that. Um, and went, like a bra. And it was fun. Like there's like an upstairs, like a bed and then like a dance floor and then like another room. And um, it's, of course, very German, ravey. And it was cool to see all walks of life there. Like, you know, I saw like there was this wife whose like husband was in like six inch, you know, stripper heels and, you know, just like full like leather man, like strappy get up. And it, it was just it was cool to see that way. And then I, we kind of when you kind of started becoming aware who was around you, like a lot of guys, though. Like, there's a lot of dudes there compared to like women or couples. So by the time my boyfriend are like, OK, cool, like we're all like hyped up and we want to like get down and dirty with something. So I start going down on my boyfriend. So we kind of like find a corner. We're not like just on the dance floor. We kind of found like a corner and be like, all right, we're going to be private over here because it's more the energy of like, you know, sex around you and like minded people. Like I said, that makes it like sexy and like you want to, you know, it's like watching a really sexy movie. Of course, it makes you want to like, you know hump your dude or your girl or whatever. So I start going down on him and I remember I opened my eyes and there was basically like a semicircle of just dudes with their cocks out and masturbating. And I was like, yep, nope, that's that's not for me. Not that I have any problem with a bunch of dudes masturbating, but it's not something you really, I don't know, I'm not a girl who has a fantasy where I want a bunch of dudes masturbating in my face, um, especially stranger dudes. <laughs> And a Berlin nightclub. So it made it just more like, oh, these guys are looking for self-gratification and they're coming to a club for that, that they know they can be there for it. Compared to, oh, we're all like-minded individuals who want to like experiment and have fun and explore our bodies. So that really cut the night pretty short because it was like no matter where we tried to hook up, it kind of became that. kind of became like we were the performers for all these other people. And it just like that wasn't necessarily what I wanted. And again, this might have been, this wasn't like, I don't think Kit Kat Club's like heyday. It's probably like, even though this was 10 years ago, Kit Kat Club, I think, used to be different probably when it first opened. Just like any nightclub or club, you know, it's prime is when it first opens. Um, So that was that one. The second one was in Sydney, Australia. And like I said, it was more of like a swingers club. And you can either only be a couple or you can be a couple who invited someone or you can be a single girl. So you kind of be like any single dudes coming. So I was like, sweet, that sounds a lot better. And I'm still with my same partner at the time. Um, so we go to this one. And this one was like pretty funny. It was like school dance vibes in the beginning where you're all just like sitting there on the couch, like looking around me like, oh, yeah, you're first time here. Um, like a little awkward. But then you saw people like start to get some drinks and they start to loosen up and then like explored the house. And there was a lot more like intimate type rooms that all have different themes, like, you know, one with like red satin sheets and like a sex swing and then like Another one that's more like purple and blacks and then like kind of like a living room area upstairs where, you know, more communal. So we start feeling it and like, you know, getting some drinks and you're getting like, you know, little loose people start like you can see like co-mingling and hooking up. And so I start hooking up with like kind of that girl in the beginning who's the couple was sitting next to us. We were both like, yeah, it's our first time, blah, blah, blah. And before this, I have to say my boyfriend and I like there was definitely the the consensus is. I'm not going to hook up really with any other dudes. Like, that's not really what I was there for either. I didn't have really interest in, like, a dude penetrating me. 
in a way. Like, I don't care if, like, he's and my boyfriend are watching me and the girl kind of a thing. I, I just didn't. It just wasn't what I was there for. But so that's kind of like was our general understanding is like we'll hook up with a girl or I'll hook up with a girl kind of a thing. So I started hooking up with this girl and there's probably a few of us girls hooking up, like three or four, like touching each other and, you know, like getting naked. And like I start like and then this girl's boyfriend comes over and like is trying to, you know, starts trying to get involved. And at this point, my boyfriend then gets jealous. And I was like, you have to be fucking kidding me. Didn't we have a conversation about this? And he gets jealous and he pulls me away. He's like, I thought you said no dudes. And I was like, I don't even know there was a dude near me with this. I was like hooking up with the girl. So it's kind of a bummer. It got cut short because I think that like if we communicated better with the other couple, then maybe we could have gone into one of like the rooms and made it like a little bit more private and like, you know, but I think also my boyfriend needed to at the time realize that you're in a sex house where like anything kind of goes like if he had a problem with it he needed to do like some problem solving in the moment like okay i can either join in on this or i can grab my girl or i can touch this other girl or i can be like hey man like don't touch my girl but like let you know if you want to be over here with me or touch your girl you, you know what i mean he could have handled it better but i think just guys are too immature at certain points in their lives especially if you're not really into the scene you don't know how to handle those things so that was the end of that. That ended up in a fight. And I haven't really been to one since because when I ended up breaking up and then, of course, I got in another relationship years later. And then with the onset of like social media and being more in the States like L.A. and New York, I am terrified of like running into someone or someone like, I don't know, there's too much like accountability kind of a thing like I don't want to be recorded and you know at this time 10 years ago there really wasn't social media I wasn't worried and even though phones aren't allowed at these places you just don't know and there's a lot more you know gossip and talk I think that goes on now than there used to be especially if someone finds out about like a woman's like fantasies or you know or what they did with someone else and or if they got drunk you know what I mean it's just it gets to be a little bit more like frat culture I feel like nowadays with social media in my mind I don't know maybe I need to go to another sex club and you know these days and see if it's different or if it's what I expect. I think at Kit Kat Club, definitely it was men fulfilling their fantasies a little bit more. I don't know about the other couples there. I can only talk about from my experience, like I said before. But I didn't find it like performative or self-conscious in any way from like any of the people there. Um, everyone seemed to be like pretty okay with pulling their dicks out <laughs> and doing whatever they wanted. But I think at the second place, like the swinger type place, there was a little bit more self-consciousness if it was your first time. Um, and I think women were definitely a little bit more liberated. And I think that the couples who had better conversations and were more mature and suited for it probably did better than like probably my boyfriend who like you know freaked out at the end there but I would definitely say women feel more liberated because it takes away the guesswork and the judgment for a lot of it you know the difference between these places and a normal sexual pursuit is I think that there is a and I kind of mentioned before like a general understanding of why you're there you are open to these things you are wanting to explore your bodies. You're kind of like the more taboo, dark end of, you know, sexual fantasies typically, or you're just like, I don't know, everyone has different reasons for it. And I think everyone understands that everyone has different reasons for it. We're rather like normal sexual pursuit. You know, if you're at a bar, you get a dude trying to be like, you know, oh, can I buy you a drink? And then it's like this weird kindergarten play. And then like, oh, let me get your number. It's just a lot more awkward. I feel like even though there's awkwardness at these places, there is still a you're not going to judge me and I'm not going to judge you. We're like out in the wild. I call it the wild of normal. It just feels way different. Dudes are douchier than the way that they talk. It's harder to navigate if a girl actually wants to like be curious or if they're just like, 
you know, teasing. It's just a lot different. Um, it's nice to be in an environment where you kind of know that like no one's going to judge you if you hit on that person. Whereas if you do it in a bar, that that fear of rejection, you know, I think looms over people a lot more. So when I was in my early 20s, I was working on reception of a gay sauna. And the job itself basically entailed just checking customers in, giving them their keys, checking their bags for G or any other drugs, um, occasionally having to call ambulance services because someone had managed to smuggle in G and was overdosing and it was not very pretty, to say the least. Um, but one of the perks of the job was having free access to the facilities, but also we see, you know, the privilege of working in reception and checking customers in is that you can check to see who's fit going in. And, you know, if it was at the end of your shift, you had the opportunity to go down to use the facilities and find the person that you found fit and maybe see if they're interested. So this happened, kind of happened one time. So I was approaching the end of a shift and a guy comes in who I'd hooked up with a couple of years prior, who's this dead fit. He was kind of like a McDreamy type. He had this gorgeous salt and pepper hair and like nice little tonage on him. He had different color eyes. He was actually, he was really fit remembering it. Uh, he goes downstairs to use the facilities and I come to the end of my shift and I know he's still there. So I just think maybe I'll go down and see if he's interested in part two. So I get myself ready, put the towel on. I start meandering down, like waltzing through this sort of through the sauna, looking at the steam rooms, going down the cruising area, passing the glory holes, like looking for this salt and pepper hair. And then I see him, I see he sat down on his own. So, I mean, I'm not going to go up and just badger him. So I kind of walk past very coyly, uh, like I'm shy or something and kind of hope that he notices me, which he does. And he taps me on the shoulder. He actually squeezes my shoulder from what I remember. And um, I turn around. I'm like, oh my God, babe, hi, how are you doing? Like, everything good? And we just start having a chat. And he just kind of, we sit down and he leans, he leans into me and his leg is gently pressed against mine. And he, he says to me, do you want to know something weird? And I kind of like lean in closer and I'm like, of course, like, I'm all about the weird. And then he goes on to tell me that his cousin is also in the sauna walking around on the same floor that we're on. I asked him, I was like, is, is, like, have you acknowledged each other? Have you like, have you spoken to each other? And he goes on to tell me that they hadn't and that neither of them are out to each other nor their family. His cousin walks into a cabin. Shortly after that, the McDreamy guy squeezes my leg and he goes, follow me. So obviously I willingly follow him. And she leads me, he leads us both into another cabin. And I go in and there's a glory hole. And the glory hole connects to the cabin that his cousin is in. I put my dick through it and this cousin starts blowing me. And... McDreamy is behind me and he is kissing, you know, my, the back of my neck. And as his cousin is blowing me and suddenly I'm in this weird setup where I've kind of facilitated this incestuous encounter between these two cousins. And McDreamy kind of turns my head around slightly and we start making out properly as his cousin is blowing me still. And then eventually he kind of edges his himself into the glory hole, which was large enough for the two of us to kind of position ourselves. And then his cousin starts 
uh, sucking us both off at the same time, it just kind of crescendos into this mutual climax thing. <laughs> and then it's just you, his cousin pulled away and you could hear the door close. And then it was just the two of us in this cabin and just kind of like look at each other and just like, that was fucking weird. Written submission number one. My name is V, and I co-own and operate a fire theater team specializing in kink-slash-erotically-inspired fire performances. I started the performance program for NSFW, or the New Space for Wellness, play parties in New York. I was also their head of VIP and paid memberships, the VIP experience coordinator, and VIP exclusive event producer. Currently, my team has a residency at Sapphire 39, a strip club in Manhattan. Come check us out every Monday. I've been in the kink-slash-erotic performance landscape for about seven years. I have been a femdom professionally as well as a switch in my personal life. I enjoy bondage and impact play and have enjoyed pup play in the past but rarely get the opportunity to do so. I only engage in kink with trusted partners, usually not opening up that side of myself until we've been intimate for longer periods of time. I sort of fell into the lifestyle. My first event production gig was a walk-through dungeon experience with performances and light play activations, just because a friend thought I would be good at it. I still have no idea why. I can't say that I have one particular impetus for engaging in this niche performance community. I have never, and don't, play at play parties. I've never considered myself a carnal person. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy sex, but expressing myself artistically in this way feels the most empowering. I love being eye candy. I love being recognized for wielding fire in that way. I'm petite with long blonde hair, seemingly apple pie but I'm also fairly tattooed and pierced. Mildly alternative, as a performer, it's my job to welcome fetishization. I'm there to be watched and looked at. My favorite way to showcase my talents and experience is directing scenes that I know will elicit certain emotions from the crowd. As performers, we're there to inspire sensuality and sexuality. We create an atmosphere that allows people to put their guard down. If we can perform and exhibit our sexuality, then maybe you'll be inspired to play. My team members allow their talents to shine through extreme erotic scenes, light bondage, fire play, or wonderfully cheesy, choreographed girl-on-girl -girl fire scenes. A lot of the performers I manage and work with are dancers, performers, some champion pole dancers, some burlesque artists. Something I'm the most proud of is my onboarding documents and consent contracts for performers. Your no's are the most important to me. Speak up, advocate for yourself, I'll always listen. Having worked at many private parties and public strip clubs, the venues are drastically different. Private parties range anywhere from a bachelor party or a birthday party to exclusive sex parties where everyone is in costume or upscale all-black attire. I've even worked sex expos. Guest demographic ranges from very conventionally attractive men, women, and thems to those who have found their power in high levels of costuming and artistic personal presentation. I've attended parties that are fairly homogenous, where many of my BIPOC, queer, and trans friends didn't feel welcome or comfortable or were totally ignored while in attendance. I boycott these events.
Having a mostly monogamous approach to relationships, I have brought partners to these events, whether I'm attending or performing. I want them to enjoy the shows and the atmosphere of free thinking and free-to-be energy. I do enjoy how confident they feel being approached in a safe space, where otherwise society would tell them that they're cheating. It's my first belief that cheating is defined by specific couples, and not by a post on Instagram made by someone previously scorned. I also ascribe to the idea that jealousy is a completely natural and normal emotion. It's what you do with it that determines its toxicity. Like with any situation, I allow space for open communication without judgment, and we work through the issue of jealousy, not casting blame or shaming someone for their completely valid emotions. What I appreciate most about play parties is how comfortable people are with their bodies and their sexualities. People are free to be and are accepted no matter how weird, and consent protocol is upheld and at the forefront of the community experience. This industry has given me more than any socially normative job ever could, and I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. My first full-blown party was late last summer. I actually went with a friend who was a Tinder hookup turned into a friend, and he kind of surprised me with it because he knew I was really curious about it. So I walked into the house, and when you first walk into a lot of parties and other hotel takeovers, there's usually drinks you can either bring your own or it's provided for you and if you want to you can just dive right into it i prefer to mingle and talk a little bit kind of see what's going on in those situations too it depends on who you're walking in with if you walk in lone ranger usually someone come up to you immediately if you walk in with a man or another person and the party knows that you're with someone they're a little slower to approach, not knowing who that partner is with you. And then before I knew it, I was downstairs at the glory hole wall. And before the night was over, I had been at the glory hole wall at like a massage table and took about, I want to say a little for a dozen people to the point where the person who hosted the party saw me and he was like, hey, I want to speak to you later. And he was very cordial even from the beginning. My friend who hosts these house parties is very much of the safety issue. I've gone to parties since that day at his house where, but his house, he has upstairs rooms in which it is watching only. And then downstairs is open play. So he's very strict on, like, he'll ask someone else, but hey, can you go check on her upstairs? Make sure that everyone's, like, protected because a lot of times, too, there's just a lot of people and there's like, either lights or it's not lit at all. And so you do have to kind of either have a partner there with you to make sure or you have to be kind of vigilant and make sure that if you want protection, that everyone is protected. So my introduction of what would be called the lifestyle was more of a slow burn at first. I had a friend of mine who was curious about it. And a lot of guys actually do like, I hate to say use for or have a female friend along because one, it gets them in the door easier. And two, it makes them a little more approachable. Anyone who's been to a club or house party, kind of the single dude, it's a toss up as to whether he's there to be weird or if he's actually there for fun. I'd done one or two threesomes with a couple. And then I also went to a swingers house party. And it was a smaller group, and that was okay. I don't really go to any of the sex clubs in my area. One, because the rooms literally looked like beds from Taken. And everyone there was very sketchy, almost like when people were trying to mingle, it felt like a middle school dance. And then the other one just felt very cliquish, just not my style. 
I would say lifestyle and parties, whether it's a club, a hotel, house party, or even a small get-together differs from pedestrian pickups is everyone's there for one reason. The one nice thing about it that's different from pedestrian pickups is that if you're there to simply watch or just have a drink and then make a decision, in my experience, it is whenever you feel comfortable to jump in, you can go in. And in my experience, when you jump in, then it's like open season. So you have to kind of be worried about that. It is nice at one point. And definitely, I think as a woman doing it, it's a lot more empowering than pedestrian pickups or sexual encounters, if you will, because I remember the first time I went, my friend who took me to that house party, I wasn't feeling one guy. Like, I just didn't like how it felt. And I looked at my friend. I was like, can I tell him to go away? And he said, absolutely. So I literally looked at him and I said, thank you so much. Have a nice night. So that's the one nice thing is most guys in that area or in whatever party you're at will understand no means no. And whenever a line is crossed, that person is usually exiled from like the surrounding parties or word will get out or even I've seen in the past of certain parties around here last year where a group of women at a party in which I did not attend because I just did not have really good vibes about it. I didn't think it was going to turn out well. They all banded together and basically outed this party and how inappropriate it was of how certain people were acting. In terms of the environment being performative or indulging into fantasies, I think that in terms of indulging into fantasies depends on if you're in a specific kink party. I go to just regular house parties and hotel takeovers. I found that as long as all the vibe from all the girls are good, kind of like when one girl's going and is okay with being expressive, then it kind of gets the other girls going and like more confident and being like, all right, like let's all do this. Like it's kind of like getting the guys riled up, which is kind of fun. There have been other times where I've been to other ones where, honestly, I've had to initiate like the house getting going because no one's really doing anything and there's nothing more awkward than a half house full of people waiting to do what they came to do and no one's making a move and you're like, well, I have to be the one to do it. I've also been to parties. The last one I went to actually in July in which I did not play, the house party in which I said was my first one, he actually asked me to bartend and I had one girl there that said it was her first one ever and I just kind of pulled her aside and I was like hey like this is kind of like how I got into it if you need me come grab me but like I think you're gonna have a lot of fun so I do think it's like I said if the vibe is good all around it's a very supportive community with women with each other. So my journey attending this type of parties started in Madrid uh, meet uh, I was studying in a city next to Madrid and uh, it became popular into the BDSM scene to artists as Dar Sabbat. This is a place that is closed already, but it was a private penthouse only open for this type of parties. It was a small crowd there, uh, really with this private secrecy atmosphere, like you were going somewhere like forbidden because of course it was mid-2000 and it was not yet this moment where everybody is more open-minded to talk about their kings and uh, they are into spanking or lattes. No, it was 2005 and we were kinsters. I remember that it was fun, that it was a cool experience and yeah, the thing there is once you get into the club, girls, it was for free during the week and maybe weekends you pay 10 euros but it was really cheap. 
and they invite you to the first drink and uh, they give you uh, the towel and the flip-flops and uh, you are there in the bar with the towel and the flip-flops, which is not sexy at all. <laughs> but apparently it's the official dress code in swinger clubs uh, in that side of Spain and also in other places. I, I hear that it's the same story. And I used to go there and eventually... I have my group of people that I was friendly with and I was sleeping, especially there with uh, one woman who was older than me, probably 20 or something like that, but she was super elegant, always perfect, super pretty. So with this woman, <laughs> I think I slept many times and it was always fun. And I really like it. We had kind of a connection. Then I slept with many people in there. Like I was doing like, I don't know, like two, three, four people <laughs> every time I was going there. Men, women, I have, I'm, I'm bisexual by nature. So for me, it was kind of paradise. I never had any serious problem there. Like just only people were really friendly. And uh, the only time I have a nasty situation, it was a guy. He, he tried to stick his penis inside me without condom and uh, I was really conscious about using protection and I just pushed him and that's it I didn't mention anything else and experience I remember that I fucked like four football players at the time from a local team I have no clue about football so <laughs> yeah I remember their legs they were really hard oh my god they were super hot and I have a curvy body shape and I never had any problem I mean by curvy body shape it's like I have an, I'm a 12 UK side and I think especially because I was ja the youngest there so <laughs> that was more sexy I have to mention that the vibe was better during the week because it was the people really liking to go to swinger clubs and to interact and it was a great atmosphere weekends on the other hand on saturday you could find couples where uh one of the people in the couple really wanted to go whereas the other person it was like no i don't want to be here i just came here because of you and you can see their faces around the bar and it's like mm, i don't like it and then you have single men single men in this type of clubs they are situated in the other side of the bar like there is kind of a, a, a curtain separating the area where women and couples, they can interact. And if you see a single guy that you like, you can invite him over, but they cannot freely walk around the club just for everybody to be more, I don't know, like comfortable that there are no single guys bumping on you. And of course, uh, the ticket uh, entry for them, it was more expensive. I think during the weekend it was 50 euros, I'm not sure, or, or 100 euros. And during the week it was uh, less, but yeah, it was more pricey. Uh, yeah, for, of course, if you don't pay for something, you are the product. So to me, it was fun to go there. But nowadays I will not go to a sex party where I don't have to pay. Eventually, I just stopped going there. I got more responsibility at work. I'm, I made friends. I got a partner. But then I moved away to another country. I didn't attend these parties there. But then I moved to Berlin. And in Berlin, I came back a little bit to the kinky scene. So I'm not really active because with the years, I became more private with my sex life. And it was really cool to be able to explore during my 20s all these people in a safe setup that is a swinger club that you don't need to bring guys to your place so they uh, you don't have to go to their place and it's like a neutral space where you can really have as much fun as you want and I was really I have a really high sex drive so I would really fit there and now in Berlin yes I get to go some places and yes I have sex in the dark room in Bergen and in other corners of that club but I, I keep a more private profile in that place. <laughs> But yeah, people do have sex in Berlin, but uh, it's less obvious than the people really think because it's a techno club more than a sex club. But yeah, there are many corners where you can interact and people usually is really open for that. 
So I do just want to start by making the disclaimer that because I'm going to talk about disordered eating, I'm not going to include numbers or specifics when I talk about weight changes. It's really just because I think that that kind of information can be pretty harmful, even when there's like a content warning. I worked as a dominatrix at a sex dungeon in Australia for two years in my early 20s. At the time, sex work was quite heavily regulated in my city. So it was a licensed venue that could offer full service, but it was also really, really common for people to want to experience or to have an experience with a mistress that didn't directly involve a sex act. Despite the many, many issues with the criminalization of sex work outside of venues like the club that I worked at. When I was starting out in sex work, I had confidence in these licensed venues because I knew that they were subject to specific health and safety regulations and things like that. So it gave me a sense of safety. My background and start in sex work is pretty common, I think. I was a full-time student and Although I had a part-time job, I was living paycheck to paycheck and I was supporting myself financially and I just wanted more financial freedom without having to sacrifice the time that I knew that it would take to make the same amount of money in quote unquote a normal job. So I did a lot of research online. I had conversations with a friend who was working as an escort at the time and then I just reached out directly to licensed brothels and escort agencies, kink clubs. I asked if I could meet up and speak to someone from management. I would try and do like a bit of a vibe check. And then I decided on this fetish club and things kind of just went from there. I would say I'm a very sexually adventurous and open person and I was definitely extremely curious about BDSM. I didn't personally have a fetish for domination. To be honest, I just felt a lot more comfortable providing a sexual service where I knew that I would have control. And in my experience, consent and communication, they're just such an integral part of BDSM. So it really does feel like a safe space. The part of this work that I found so much just genuine enjoyment and pleasure in was catering to someone's desires, making someone feel good and taking on a role that satisfies their fetish. That's the part that I found pleasure in. The part of dom work that I struggled with and ultimately it was really, really harmful for my mental health. <laughs> it was this way that my body was fetishized and how that affected my body image. When I first started, I had very, very recently recovered from like a 10-year battle with bulimia and it had pretty much consumed like my whole adolescence in the process of eating disorder recovery and treatment, I had gained weight. And so at first, kink work was extremely empowering because most of my regular clients really wanted a curvy figure. Being constantly exposed to the fetishization of larger female bodies, it really eventually encouraged this swing towards binge eating because 
I could see a direct correlation between my weight gain and the number of bookings that I was getting, which would then increase my income. And I had clients that delighted in seeing me gain weight. I had clients that wanted to feed me or wanted me to sit on them. I'm the last person to king shame. I think there's nothing wrong with having a desire for those things. But those requests were really, really complicated for me because of this just fucked up relationship that I had with my body and my weight. And having my weight correlate to my income was, I think it was just a recipe for disaster, to be honest. After about a year, I started committing to what I kind of think of as a truer version of eating disorder recovery. My disordered eating and my weight had felt so out of control. And I went back to therapy. I changed my medication. I really wanted to forge like a healthy relationship with food pretty much for the first time in my life. In you know, in contrast to just continuing this habit of cycling between binging and bulimia and restriction. And I will say that it was my kink work that actually gave me the financial means to see an eating disorder specialist and a dietitian and actually access the supports that I needed to get better. What ended up happening was that as I really engaged in eating disorder treatment and started to properly nourish my body regularly and adequately without any disordered behaviors, my like my metabolism, my digestion, my appetite cues, everything got better. So my weight started to stabilize and go down. And clients that I had been seeing regularly for over a year, clients that I had like an established rapport and trust and mutuality with just stopped booking me. Some just switched to other women at the same club, really just because they, they wanted or they needed someone who could fulfill their fetish for a plus size body. And I was slowly no longer meeting that. I ended up leaving sex work towards the end of my second year at that fetish club. For me, trying to unpack the connection between my weight and my value as a human and as a woman was just impossible. It was impossible to do while working in a space that was reinforcing it. I think that the kink or the BDSM space can be so freeing and so many people find acceptance and self-love. But I think that it's a myth that this community exempts you from being a slave to the body type that other people find desirable and beauty standards. I think that we live in a world where women's bodies are constantly being fetishized. doesn't matter whether it's in the media or in a fetish club. And you just can't try to separate those expectations or from what's happening inside the fetish club, or you can't insulate what's supposed to be a really free and open space. You, you can't insulate it from societal expectations. You just can't. I think that fetishization happens everywhere. 
Once again, my degenerate angels, I'm Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. Congratulations on surviving another trip into the underworld, and make sure to collect your souvenir photo on the way out. Just kidding. There is no souvenir photo, but there is merch on my website, www.allieweissworld.com. We've got the cutest sweatshirts and G-strings ready to cover your body in love. But if you're pinching your pennies but still want to support, the most helpful thing you can do is leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. I know all hosts ask for this and it's high-key annoying, but in my case, the more reviews the show has, the easier it is for new listeners to find the show and become future anonymous contributors, which means more entertainment and powerful life lessons for you. Also, please tell a friend and an enemy about this episode if you think it will resonate with them, because word of mouth marketing means I won't have to do something that will embarrass you all, like participating in an Instagram giveaway. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed your hour with me, and I look so forward to seeing and hearing from you next week. Until then, be good. Follow Tales of Taboo on TikTok at Tales of Taboo and on Instagram at Tales of Taboo Pod. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Allie Weiss World. Tales of Taboo is part of the Eve Podcast Network and a Forever Dog production. Produced and narrated by Allie Weiss. Edited by Isabel McMahon. Executive produced by Mariah Nicholas. Intro by Chris Stathopoulos. Forever Dog Productions is Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm.